0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the DeQuisto Series podcast. Happy Wednesday. It's roadshow season, and we got another Q&A coming at you today. This one is from our latest event down in Birmingham, Alabama. This is our Deep South event. I was super pumped to get down to Alabama and have a more dedicated Southern event this year, and I think it went over awesome. Once again, I'd like to take a moment to thank all of our Roadshow sponsors for making these events possible. Let's give it up for Lone Wolf Custom Gear, Onyx Hunt Mapping Systems, Vortex Optics, Womo Outdoors, Hoyt Archery, and XOP. A special thanks to Taylor Philpot, Revive Outdoors, and the Cornerstone Ranch for making this event possible and opening up their awesome venue to us. We really appreciate that, and thank you for all the help for this event. Well, without further ado, let's get into it. Hope you enjoy. There you have it, Matthew. Really getting jacked up. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the DeQuisto Series podcast. Coming at you live from Alabama. We are at the second official roadshow of the 2022 season, and um, it's hot, but it's a good time. (laughs) All right, that's what I like to hear. we got some stoke going on. So, okay, we got a bunch of questions here. Um, We're just going to dive in. So, okay, here's a bump and dump question. I just gravitated to this right off the bat. So the bump and dump, have any of you guys hunting in the south used the bump and dump successfully? What time of day is best to bump, or is it dependent on the moon? So, before I dive into this i'll let one of the southern guys uh um you guys anybody have anything to talk about this one
1: yeah um i i bumped and dumped in virginia uh it's actually a two-fold bump and dump but i bumped him up in august uh w- with expectations of going back to that bedding area through early october all right may have been early september i bumped him up but bumping him allowed me to find where he was And off of that, I set trail cameras um, and made a mock scrape on one of his travel corridors. And that let me kind of like get some information on my trail camera as to what conditions he was coming back and forth and from what direction he was getting to his bed. Um, I ended up actually bumping him again the day I killed him, (coughs) not totally intentionally, but uh, everything was in my favor coming into that area. And when when I crested a hill, does heard me they didn't smell me or see me and uh they were slipping out and then i saw him f- slipping through some pines i got set up and 10 minutes later he was dead so uh, kind of worked out that way just knowing where his bed was was hugely essential to getting that deer on the wall
0: what time of year was that again
1: uh killed him october 15th and bumped him early september
0: the okay so <clears throat> yeah anybody else got any bumping and story stories for the south or
2: yeah I'll share one uh here in Alabama bump and dump this uh this year me and my buddy Chris went out and scouted a property for the first time together uh bumped a deer ended up ended up going 156 he ended up taking it at the end of season but bumped it up out of a bed um he had to leave I scouted kind of the ridge line of where I bumped him, found primary bedding this was in pre-rut condition so a lot of fresh scrapes and rubs coming out of the corner of a pine thicket and hardwoods and uh the tree that I knew I needed to be in for the next day and uh, waited until the thermal switch happened of uh, thermals dropping thermals pulling up the hill and went in uh, it was probably about 30 minutes after daylight when I, I was just waiting just dropping milkweed until I realized that switch went in hung it on the tree 10 minutes comes in beds next to me for two and a half hours I had vein vines hanging down couldn't get a shot I think I was texting you in the middle of it I like this buck is bedded like 30 yards away, but I got vines in the way. Uh, coyotes ended up getting spooked or getting started going crazy by ambulance, and uh, we didn't kill that deer for 40 more days. But that was a successful bump and dump without being able to get the shot, and you know I wanted to make an ethical kill, so I let him walk and, instead. And, but that was a, that was
0: a good yeah. Experience. I think I think it's important to note that you know one thing I like to preface you know even there's so many similarities between all areas of the country right so it's more I like to get it into people's heads that it's not a different game it's the same game in a different area so when when we look at uh, a tactic like the bump and dump right there's like the iconic I guess bump and dump would be to you know bump that deer intentionally and then kill him either that day or the next day but that's just, that, that, that would be like at the core, like the iconic, but still like the objective of performing this maneuver is really just to find out where this particular buck is betting, right? So th- that's, that's the whole reason we're doing this. If you can capitalize and get them killed right away, that's great. But the whole premise and where this starts is that you need a starting point and you need to find these deer. So that doesn't change whether you're in Alabama or you're in Michigan or you're in Pennsylvania, or you're in Tennessee. You know what I mean? It, it really doesn't. Now, the ground is going to change. The amount in which you're going to have to push to find those deer or to find that buck is going to have to change. But the, the, what we're doing is always the same. It's not changing. So I think the second thing you have to take into account for this is identifying temperament and time of year. It's a lot easier to nail a bump and dump in rut conditions with a dominant buck because they're gonna wanna come back there right away. Uh, early season, early, 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 you know, these this buck bedding you're finding, you gotta capitalize on that before it changes or before their their pattern changes. So that's one, one thing, one key thing. Where myself and the old man have always differed with the bump and dump is I will wait. Um, I typically won't hunt it that evening. I'll do the homework, find the spot, and I'll try and cycle back through the following day. Just because I feel that Unless I have hard evidence that this is a a, a, a very dominant deer, uh, I I find that more times than not, they result to a secondary pattern and a secondary bedding area. It also, it also depends on the time. Now, this is the second part of the question, and I was getting to this. So what is the best or what time of day is best to bump or dependent on the moon? So this is a huge thing. You can't just, like, if you just walk out at any random time, you know, um, it's not the best practice because for one you want to go walking when these deer are bedded not when they're moving so that's when it becomes important to take into account the moon you know you might bump a deer very easily on a transition and think you bumped him out of his bed but if you didn't visually get a a sighting of of the bed then you know you could have bumped him on a transition and now you're going to set up in that spot hoping to get him coming back to bedding and it's not even going to be what's happening so the moon will give you an idea in correlation to that. Also, time. Yes, so uh, if you go walking around at first light, you know, most of the deer probably aren't going to be bedded at that time. I mean, depending, unless it's a, a real garbage moon phase. But um, so, yes, the time does matter if you want to have that like primo textbook uh, bump and dump style. You need to focus on late mornings, uh, midday type, type hikes. Um, you know, when the moon is in a decent pattern. Uh, and then that'll at least let you know that you're kicking up deer that are bedded. Um, once you do that, depending on time of year is then when I would, I would make the call of capitalizing on that. If some people overthink it, it's, be, it's became very popular. The, the bedding has became extremely popular. So everybody wants to get in the bedding area and wants to kill a deer in the bedding area. And I, I'd like to preach that it's not always necessary. Like, you know, we want to find where they're betting, but a lot of times you can find that area and just use that piece of information to make the kill elsewhere. And usually that spot is going to be easier to make it happen. It's not always easy to manipulate those areas because they're in those areas for a reason. So um, I would, uh, that's how I'd like to round that off, is I, think, I don't think it's a, a south versus north thing. I think it's more of a um, tactic-based deal. And um, I think we didn't release the podcast yet, but I did talk about a failed bump and dump in southern Ohio. I don't know what where the south lines begin, but it was, uh, it was hill country. And, you know, I rushed it, and I hunted this buck after bumping him the day prior in this very ridgy valley. And had I thought about it more, I knew where he was going to feed, but I got gun-ho, and I wanted to set up right in this tore-up area that I found where he was bedded on this shelf three quarters of the way up and i just could the thermals didn't work for it but i didn't let myself think about it in depth and he busted me coming in so um but other than that if i'd have been a little bit smarter and just smarter and just backed up a little bit i'd have had him i'd have had him dead to rights. so that kind of sucks but i would i would like to say that it does it is a good tactic don't write it off because you think you don't have the deer population or because of the area
3: it works here It i i i got busted doing it last year here in alabama Oh, that's Um, right yeah yeah i did the same thing i came down here hunting late january thinking i was going to be on a rut hunt um and as everybody here probably knows uh, ruts in in alabama differ every five miles um (laughs) and uh and i found out where this buck was bumped him up um and uh went in the next day and actually set up too close to where he was coming from instead of going and setting up on the bed that i knew he was going to head to and he passed me by it five minutes before legal shooting light and I had to just walk him, watch him walk, pass on through. Had I thought through that and gone and set up where I knew I should have been, you know, I would have, I would have shot that deer last year. Or, will this January. Um, and the buck I killed uh, two years ago I killed after bumping, um, bedded on a creek edge. I was going to s- ask your opinion on that. Do you think that um, you – so, like, for example, that buck that I killed two years ago I killed because he was bedded up with a doe that was er- hot early and she liked he liked pushing those deer up to the interstate that we've talked about and they were bedded on this big finger in a creek drainage so i kicked them up and the next day came back in and he was working her the exact same way right back to where they were bedded the day before that and i shot him right there so do you think that they that you get differences based on like with the time of the year like bump and doe bedding almost yeah you know?
0: yeah so during the rut i don't know if that would that's, I think it's a little different of a tactic. You're getting in the zone, and you're just trying to find where that where that doe's hanging. So in that instance, I don't know if you necessarily, like, that was a buck. I don't think that was where the buck was bedded most likely. It was probably where he was held up with her. But you still kicked them out of there. You got in where you needed to get and then made the kill. I mean, technically, I mean, not – not Maybe not a bump and dump, but like an aggressive tactic that yielded in a kill that is very similar. Um, and that's where, like, time of year comes into play, too. Like, you don't want to wait those things out in November because it might not be a betting area. Um, there's been, there was numerous spots that you found in Wisconsin that, you know, uh, Jake kind of called me, tell me what was going on, and, um, you know, I, I would quickly identify those being familiar with Wisconsin as areas that weren't core areas, they, like, and they were probably burnt out so like you probably waste your time like you know just shredded up areas that isn't necessarily a bucks home range it's just when they're waiting on those does they got nothing better to do so they shred up a place and, and you wouldn't know any better to think that you know it was just for a couple of days they were hanging there and now they're gone and they'll probably never be back I mean like there's there might not be any reason so you can waste your time with that too but going that being said when you bump them and you get that visual sight you got to act on that uh, as quick as possible um, or keep that if it's early keep that information in the in the rolodex for later like like the 40 days later Like you know those all that all that stuff matters, you know that intel um, the intel of the betting um, All right, let's get to another question. So for uh, the frequency in which you can hunt the same area without Without blowing out the area Oh, That's a good question yeah, it's a, good, it's a very good question. So this is
3: actually, I watched Cody on another podcast getting in an argument with a podcaster way back when because I did? of this same question. Really? Yeah. Remember when they were, they were asking you, they were like, they were like, how did you know to hunt that spot 10 days in a row? And you're like, dude, I just hunted it 10 days in a row because that's where I had to be.
0: Yeah. So, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, you want me to kick it off? Does anybody want to kick it off? Um, I mean,
3: I mean, feel free. All to right, you.
0: okay. So if you're smart about the way you're hunting this area... It's, it's very hard to burn it out, but you got to be smart about it. So you don't want, like people here hear us preached the, uh, the aggressive tactic, right, or like the bumping deer. If you repeatedly bump these deer, repeatedly, every day, or even sometimes it only takes a couple, two, three times, whatever, you could mess that spot up. Like So that's where it becomes important to capitalize on that. But if you're talking about now a good area, you got to be smart in your access in, your access out, like, you know, what you're you know, the type of scent you're leaving by, because you can you can burn it. But if you're actively scouting and if that area is remaining hot, hunt it until it's not. So don't get caught up like that's that's my philosophy. Don't get caught up in thinking that like, okay, I hunted this I hunted this thing, this place two days and it's burnt out. It doesn't always happen during the day. Like, you know, there's there's twenty four hours in a day we're hunting for such a small fraction of that with the moon phase and all that. These things, like, th- that buck could be shredding that ridge at night. He could be getting out of there just five minutes before you get there. So that stuff you can't change. You, you can't affect that, right? So you don't want to leave this area just due to what you see. Y- you want to leave it due to what you know. And if it goes cold, then get somewhere else. But if it's, if it's remaining to be a good spot and the sign shows it, then hunt it till you can't hunt it anymore, but hunt it smart. Don't start, like the worst thing guys will do is they'll justify hunting a sit or hunting a stand with the wrong wind just because it's a red hot spot, which that's gonna get you nowhere. You might get lucky every once in a while. If you want to consistently kill deer, you can't can't roll those dice all the time. Like, oh yeah, well, I'm just gonna, you know, bank on getting away with the wrong wind. So I would advise against that. If you're doing that, you're gonna blow that spot out real quick. So that's how i would answer it
4: i've got a pretty good example of this and i've shared it with a couple guys today Uh, the last two years i've been blessed with the opportunity to go hunt some private land in pike county illinois Uh, however this specific piece of property um, the way that the the guys that i'm i'm going with we hunt two different styles Uh, they're much older than i am um, and they have prefixed ladder stands um, all over the property and so their infill and exfill route just like Cody's talking about they they're, it's not very strategic and so the first three days on this property um, like day one I'm seeing we're, we're all seeing deer day two it's like cut in half and then by the end of day three it's completely cold nobody's seeing any deer and so I'm I'm studying and watching the way that these guys infill and exfill their property. And just the way that the, the property is laid out, there, there's a, a large uh, bold flanking creek that runs the outer edge of the property all the way around. Um, and they're moving into these these prefixed stands, and there's a sanctuary on one piece of the property where we know without a doubt that. The monster bucks that they do have on that property are bedding inside of that sanctuary but every time that they go in there and and the road systems that that are utilized to get on the property and the way they're coming out each evening after the hunt they're educating the deer every single time and they're pushing the deer I've watched the deer exit the property out of the backside through the creek and so what I was doing for the first three days was I was, which was a pain, but it, it proved to be successful i was flanking down in that creek bottom all the way around and getting on the back side of the property and, and within three seventy two 72 within three days of hunting i was watching these deer leave the property as they were going in and everything and then it went cold and so you hit it right on the head it's all about your infill your exfill, how much scent you're leaving and and you know these guys um they're firm believers in and like VS1, the uh, the hot dough scent and, and all of that kind of thing. And I used to be all about that um, as well early on in, in my hunting. Um, but now I, I don't use anything. So they're going in there saturated and all of these different scents. And, and they don't, they very often say, um, I, would t- I would tell them, you know, you're going into that. St- I wouldn't hunt that stand. The, the wind is completely wrong for that stand. Oh, it doesn't matter because i have vs1 on Uh, okay um so at that point after the three days there was public land about 15 minutes away from this private farm and i i ended up taking my 1.0 and my 0.5 and just driving the 15 minutes and 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 completely walking away from that private land in pike county illinois to go hunt public ground and try to figure it out the rest of the week because I, i quickly realized the way that they were educating the deer um when you're not there because we're out of state we're in south carolina so all the all the the cell phone uh the camera pictures and everything they're flooding in right all the time um but as soon as you get there within three days everything's gone so that was a, a quick indicator for me the frequency and how they're going in and how they're coming out every day it went cold, and I think, so I packed up and, and left. I think it
3: depends on, obviously, the size of your property, but one of the things Cody and I talk about all the time is, like, um, if your property can, can handle this, and obviously it's going to be different scenarios for or it's going to result in different things based on your scenario, but I know a lot of the property I hunt in North Carolina, <laughs> you can hunt it hard, but those, the deer won't leave, but they'll adjust to you significantly enough to where you might not see them, but they're still on the property. Like, you've told me before, like, a lot of times, like those big, older deer, they don't want to leave. So you can push them out, you can, but more than likely, they're just smart enough to know what you're doing and where you're going, even if you're taking the right route, and they'll make a play on you at the same time. So you have to adjust and think, well, just because I'm not seeing him here doesn't mean he's gone for good. He might just be 80 yards over the next ridge or 200 yards. Like I, I think that I, that would tie in almost to like when you were talking about uh, tall and tight this year, where he adjusted was it one ridge over or two ridges over when you shot
0: yeah a couple ridges yeah
3: but not but not that far vicinity wise from where you'd originally had that encounter right
0: yeah the, the initial encounter yeah um well it was three wasn't it yeah but i don't think so there was there was absolutely no way that deer was predicting me because i was i was i was a ghost so what had happened though is is that encounter that one encounter, he knew I was I was within range of him. He smelt me, but he couldn't see me, so I didn't. I, I made it. I I made the conscious decision uh, to not let him see me and not give up my location because I was going to try and squeeze a shot off. He's only at six yards, but I didn't, and he left. And I knew when he left, he knew something was up. He didn't know what it was, but he knew I was there. So that was less about uh, pressure, and, and that was the first time I'd been there. That was in fact, a bump and dump he would have been he would have been um dead to rights had I been a little smarter about it so um, but he relocated to a secondary betting area. This deer was very nomadic um, and was betting very a lot of different places at uh in the same year on different days and not even not even with different winds just that's just what he did. uh He kind of had the he ruled the roost, if you would and um so that was a little less about access. Um, and about like pressure making a spot bad, um, then more so just him relocating because I, I think he didn't feel safe on that ridge anymore. Um, but I was gonna uh, let me see here. I had a I had another point I was gonna make to that, um, and I forgot it. <laughs> Thanks, Jacob. <Jake. laughs> yeah, yeah. had to sidetrack so me with that.
3: That's how it goes. Uh, We'll just go to the the whole story of Tom and Tyler. Okay,
0: Uh, let's see here, so, different, different, um, okay, here's a product one, fixed steps steps versus folding steps, advantages and disadvantages of each.
3: Oh man, I, I mean, I, if, I think it depends on, I mean, so for me, I like the compact sticks, um, Cody and I go back and forth because he was a compact stick man and then turned his back on me and went to the doubles. But uh, but <laughs> I like the compacts because I feel like I can get them in a little bit more, in, in trees, a little bit better, um, a little bit smaller trees. Um, I feel like that, that, that pivoting key bracket gives me some advantage. Now the downside um, is that those doubles are the best when it comes to stacking. Like you just, you can't Beat the fact that you can stack them across the center posts, in my opinion, and that you can have just a single strap securing them to the stand. you know was there any reason specifically that you went to the doubles, Cody, when you did, or was it just what was the main
0: uh, yeah, so I, I switched over to the doubles for field testing purposes and like to you know try some different things for some new designs. I've never been a double step um, advocate just because of the tight timber I hunt and that big, not being able to move that step if I needed to. Um, I did think initially that the V, the pivoting V bracket got tighter on very crooked trees. And I put those doubles to the test pretty hard this year. And surprisingly, I mean, not saying that they weren't all that they're cracked up to be, but I was expecting a little bit more of a difference on crooked, smaller, like gnarled timber. And those things can form almost better due to the the you know single profile and the one piece. So it allows that aluminum to kind of like give a little bit. And um, uh, a good point to notice about those is the independent um, the inden- independent studs, right? It's not a bracket. So those can actually fl- flex too and expand and grip the tree tight on smaller timber. So. Um, But one thing that's never bothered me in the past, but but that got me a little bit this year was just the process of deploying those sticks having the two J hooks to get off and then steps then, you know deploying the, the the V or the V bracket then putting out the steps and And it's never been an issue. I never cared about it But I did realize that I started running my I started running my compacts together without J hooking them on my seat strap and I was just that much quicker And I'm always running late. So for those of you who don't follow me, um, I'm late for pretty much everything. Same thing with morning hunts and and getting into the stands. I'm always trying to do it as quick as I can. So I just switched over to the doubles too to see how that would be. And now, if anybody messed around with my setup over there, I use one gear tie, and they just essentially rest there. And I pop them out. I keep my straps on the sticks at all times. So I would say, to, to sum this up, they are quicker to set up and put on the tree than the compacts. They have a little bit more room uh, for stepwise. If you're, going, if you're a guy who likes to have both their feet in the same position, you can do it on the compact. There is enough room, but you do have more room with the double. Uh, the flip to that is they don't stack as low profile and as streamlined as the compacts do. So you get a little bit more benefit w- there. If you run into a situation with thick, gnarled timber, like you know, let's say you're setting up one of these little pines or, or anything like that, a lot of limbs, not being able to take that step and flip it out of the way like really kind of can handcuff you with that giant step in those two prongs if you're hunting you know six inch and above you know not a whole lot of limb uh trees not something to worry about with the doubles but it really this is going to come down to to personal preference what you like the feel of more and that's where we will get into with the with the, the workshop so you guys can stand on both uh feel both so you, you obviously see how they all pack, um, so it's just a preference thing. Anybody else have any other things that they, like, any points that I missed that might be more I, of a benefit? I would say along the lines of the
1: compactness of the of the single steps, like Jordan, for instance, is likely packing deer out on his stand, so having that extra two yep. inches and this, and this huge full deal. shelf is probably a big yep. deal for Jordan, whereas most of us are just looking at our backpack, which we're even making smaller now, um, and To me personally, just being able to grab them off as one bundle and throw them on the tree is is pretty sweet to have the doubles. But uh, there's pros and cons to both. Okay, so uh,
0: I know a lot of us, or a lot of, I I, I run buckles. I've always ran buckles. I never take them off. I'm buckle man. But I know a lot of guys are running buckle lists. Is there a, what stick do you think works better with the buckle list?
3: That's a great question for Zach. Zach's got every piece of equipment ever made by Lone Wolf Custom Gear.
1: yes. And some that weren't <laughs> but um, if I got gotcha. you stumped you well no, <laughs> I, I think both knots are really easy, but I think the doubles actually when you 're taking the sticks down the the buckle list comes off quicker and easier than the regular sticks, just because all you have to do is pull the one loop and drop it, um, as far as storage they 're about the same. Um, I don't think that's a
0: deciding factor for storage. So they both they both run. The, are you running them both to the button then? I don't use a button on my doubles. But you used on the compacts. Yeah. But yeah. they're both is easy to run buckleless. Mm-hmm. Okay, so no, there's no difference there, I guess. um Any other things you guys can think? For me, I'd
5: say that the. <clears throat> The weight distribution away from your body as well with the doubles. Oh, that's right. To yep. The profile. The, that's yep. one of the reasons that. And I, depending, I, depending on the amount of sticks contact. you're going to run. Correct.
0: If it, you're going to run be minute or yep. major. If you're going to run four, the doubles start to creep out. You know, that's a good, very good point. Like now you're you're looking at halfway over your seat versus completely under your seat.
3: Or if you're a guy like Nathan was last week, where you got to take like a frame, like Nathan yeah. was frame packing in because he was very camp, camping five miles into national forest land there than hunting 500 yards from his spike camp for tails, and then he was packing everything out in a frame pack with his stand so if you're that guy and he's running four sticks he is just too much extra room so he's running you know the compact had to step. be totally flat yeah
0: yeah okay so um, there was one here that. okay so have do you access, or have you ever accessed the property by boat or kayak? Do you think this is an effective way to hunt a piece of ground? Super effective, right? One so I think all of us ways. can kind of agree on this. So I'll let some of you guys guys take this one. Um, I, I'll start off by prefacing any way you could be smart, like we talked about before, about your access, is, is going to shoot you, you know, light years ahead, right? And you're leaving nothing getting in by water. Uh, and usually another thing, another advantage is most guys don't want to go through the BS to haul a kayak in the river, you know, paddle upstream, like, you know, dock it. Like, it is kind of a pain. So you got an advantage that most guys probably aren't doing that or willing to go that extra mile, and you're not leaving any scent behind. You know, you can usually um, access pretty pretty streamlined. But
6: Yeah, I've never used a kayak, but any kind of water access is perfect. Small creek, walking through that. Yep, yep.
3: Great. We, we do a lot with uh, boats. Our, our, uh, our wonderful camera guy here, uh, Dr. Chris, is actually the uh, gentleman that I so willingly mooch his boat off of him whenever he offers it up. <laughs> um, we hunt a lot of big rivers and lakes where we are. A lot of our WMAs and, and uh, core's land, core land is, is just you know on, on lake edges and rivers, and um, you know the bulk of that pressure, whether it's because a lot of guys can't afford a boat or they don't want to have to walk that far, The pressure is just so minimal on that lake edge that a lot of our mature deer in North Carolina and and other places I've been um, relate to that Uh, and it and it's a significant especially for morning hunts in my opinion um, because we we can get in before those deer get back and bet on those points that are adjacent to the lake when they know the pressure is coming off the main road and the main access points Um, it's almost like letting the general public do the drive to you um, when they just enter the woods whether it's one guy or 50 guys
2: I think on this topic, something that's super important is just, um, always, I remember during my military time studying the Mexican drug cartel at a point in time and they would have these safe houses. Well, we know we're watching a front door, back door driveway, but what we didn't know is there's a tunnel that comes up into the middle of that house and it could be anywhere from a quarter mile to two miles down the way that it comes out who knows where. So I always think when I'm looking from an access point for white deer, a lot of the times it might not be water, but it might be a cliff edge, or it might be something that somebody else has not thought about how to access that property. Maybe it's getting dropped off by somebody who's willing to drop you off and come in from a, from a road that they're not used to the pressure being applied from that direction. So when I think of access, just overall, I always think of like, what's that drug cartel tunnel that I can get into their spot where I want to hunt them and they don't know that I'm there. It's that element of surprise that I'm always looking for when I'm hunting, whether it be a water access foot, whatever the case is.
3: And it works the same way in the mountains too, with big steep drainages. Like a lot of times when you get down those real deep drainages, they don't spend a lot of time down there. Like that you might get them crossing parallel. But you can actually walk up the drainage and stay and stay pretty out of out of sight. You know, as soon as you dip up onto that ridge or three quarters of the way up you're leaving scent where they're gonna be. Um, you know, so I, I like, it sucks sometimes because those drainages are gnarly. And if, uh, I'm sure you guys in the north side of Alabama deal with Laurel, just like we do in Virginia and Western North Carolina, but, uh, accessing through those drainages is, it's the same process. I mean, you're just using the least pat. I mean, the, the least, what's the words I'm looking for here? Probably the, least resi- the resistance. yeah, that, that, whatever that means. <laughs>
0: I, I got, I got a, I got a good one for you. I just read it. Oh God. So, um, now you'll like it. It's a, where'd it go? <laughs> Damn it. I lost it. Oh, you hard. did have it. I did have it and I got two, uh,
3: you guys can chime in by the way. Well, um, Cody takes all day to find the question. Uh, it was about, thermo- it was about Thermocell.
0: It was something oh. about, it was something about like they hunt in a lot of swampy areas and, uh, what to do to avoid mos- mosquitoes? Do thermocells work, or it was something like that?
3: I bet I'd, I. I feel like I talked to whoever this was. Who oh, you did. Okay. Down. All right. Um, so, so I, this goes back to like, in my th- th- once again, this is opinion based, um, and, and I, I think the better way to answer this question is um, keep in mind he's paid by Thermos no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 I've disclosed um, that I'm a shareholder well, in Thermos. We do work for Thermosell with my company, but that's not why I'm talking about this. I've been using it for a long time. Um, I, I think the better way to answer that is the, the concern around the thermocell was, can deer smell it? It's like, well, maybe, but they can also smell you at any given time. You're never gonna beat their nose. So if the difference for me is being in the woods and saying, I'm gonna be able to sit there and not be getting just crushed by mosquitoes and and then when 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 that deer does come in because i have set up in the right spot because i have set up with the wind in my favor i can then make an ethical shot and and go through my steps without feeling like i need to like swat or be dealing with get bug bit i i would rather do that um i you know i went through the phase of the scent control stuff and down here in the south i mean hunting early season is twice as hot as this and There's just, whether it's early season or whether it's November, I just don't feel like you can conceal your scent enough to be worthwhile. Um, So I never, I'm never concerned about my thermos. In fact, I'll actually look at it and watch where the little smoke that comes up out of my thermos goes and and use it as my Windicator often. So, um, But Cody is actually new to the thermos game. Yeah. He doesn't really know if they don't have mosquitoes in Iowa.
0: Uh, oh, well, where I come from, there's giant mosquitoes. So, uh, yeah, Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin is just like this, except it's all swamp. So it's literally where mosquitoes, like the birthplace of mosquitoes, other than maybe Florida, too. Like, it's just wet. It's wet. There's a lot of mosquitoes. It sucks. I
1: hear they actually migrate from Wisconsin to here, right?
0: Yeah, probably. Um, It's Wisconsin's bird. So, yeah, luckily, though, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) yeah. It's a state bird. Luckily, Iowa has has an insane bat population. Like, it's so insane, and there's so many caves in that area They eat all the mosquitoes. So, you can, like, it's awesome. So, I'm not going to jinx that, but um, anyway, uh, yeah. So, I wouldn't be worried about deer smelling it too much, because you should be playing the wind regardless. I personally I just I, I like layer up. I know it sucks. But sometimes man they'll bite you through through clothes. Like it, it just sucks. There's nothing it, there. it's it's a shitty situation and you gotta you gotta you gotta power through it, I think.
3: I'll take the downside of the thermocell smell any day of the week.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I don't know, I, I haven't done enough testing with thermocell to, to, to tell you like, yes, buy a thermocell it works hundred ten percent like I've never actually really put it to the test because I always just resort in wearing a bunch of clothes and just sweating. Um, but, you know, do, do I, you have a model that you recommend? Uh, I mean, like so. is there a. So. Oh, and don't you have to turn it on ahead of time? Like, it's got to heat up. See that? It's a little high maintenance, you know. <laughs> like, you got to, like, uh, you got to I mean, let it run for 30 minutes I'll before like you start the like, trek out. You come
3: down here and hunt October 1, and, uh, and you tell me if it's too high maintenance. It's, um, I'm just saying. It, it is. Let these people
0: know what they got to do to, 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 to <laughs> I, have this I work I like
3: Thermoso has like an industrial one. Uh, it's gray. It's called their mr 450. Um, the standard one is just black or green. I, they all work. Like there's, they all do the same thing. They're great. If
0: um, you don't want to get bit by mosquitoes, put DEET on. Uh, That's what you want. Put that shit right on.
3: Doesn't that give you cancer?
0: I, I don't know, but it works to keep mosquitoes off. Yes. <laughs> I, I, can't, really, I can't. Yeah. I can't speak on. I would rather have the thermostat than the speak. cancer. See, it's like I, I feel like it's, it's one, one of. One if you're gonna one. go, if you're gonna leap, Deep. if you're gonna be a bear, be a grizzly, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So let's just let's load up with some off, or they got DEET-free stuff that works. I'm sure. Some I mean, people use like but it dryer sheets. Like so strong. I mean, so got, got, who cares? They got whatever
3: that gnat spray is your mom likes.
0: Yeah, the vanilla. It's got like vanilla in it. I don't think that works for mosquitoes. though. that's just flies. <laughs>
3: Anyway, they do, they do get that in Iowa and Wisconsin that they got gnats like you
0: wouldn't believe. Yeah, it's super bad. You think
3: it's bad. Mosquitoes are bad. You yes. can't, like, breathe.
0: Um, but that, that comes up, that brings a good point about scent control, too. Like, a little bit of bug spray is the worst thing in the world. If you got your wind right, and, you know, um, I, I would think whatever's going to keep you out there is probably the, the better choice than if you're going to be slapping mosquitoes on your neck and moving all the time and you know, so. On the
3: bug topic, does everybody use permethrin? I hope so. Mm-hmm. If you don't use permethrin or if you're not raising your hand, um, please go buy permethrin. You,
0: you don't Is that wanna... that stuff you soaked your clothes in that Yeah,
3: one it makes it so that you don't get bit by a tick and lose the ability to eat red meat for the rest of your life. So <laughs> it's I'm, worthwhile for the $16 bottle.
6: I firmly believe in it. Sprayed all through turkey season, treated my clothes. Last day of turkey season, my friend had 12 on her wiped my pants had 13 dead ones i didn't have a sit pants.
3: during deer season last year we started really? hunting cody and i started hunting to uh, north dakota last year in early september from that time until i was done in january i didn't have a single tick on me all season i sprayed down once at the beginning of the season uh i'm thoroughly impressed i will be spraying all of my things down with it moving forward uh, it, it, it's just not worth the risk to me you yeah. know so i would advise you guys take a look at it if you haven't already and it
1: stays on for like five to five ten months. washes right yeah, yeah. Yeah, So it'll take
3: you through early season for sure If you're not washing all the time
6: I've used it for four years and I haven't had a tick Attached
4: to me They they die on your clothes and that's it I think to to circle back around to the Initial question What Jacob said For a lot of us It took me It took me a while For me to finally Let go And and walk away from the scent stuff Um, So for the simple fact that there, there's a lot of guys that have to understand no matter what they do, no matter what any of us does, we're never going to be at a deer's nose. So that right there, I'm taking, in South Carolina, I'm taking two thermocells with me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
1: yeah. <We're> double the <laughs> protection, one, one of yeah. each gear. Yeah. Extra strong. I think the
6: perfect example of that is like watching somebody on TV who has all the sponsorships from every scent control company there is and like they wash their clothes they throw them in the ozones they spray down they do everything they mass sense whatever the second a doe walks down when that doe busts them every single time on on television it's (laughs) like we use all this stuff the doe walks down when he's like dang it she she busts him game over It, it i don't I don't know. It's a perfect example. And then I
3: think that like the time, the time that you spent like loading your stuff into bins, unloading it, rubbing it in the dirt, like, like I, I have, a, I have a buddy in the mountains that literally will climb up to where he's going, get a hundred yards from his stand, take his clothes off, rub them in the dirt, put them back on, and then climb in his stand. It's like there's so much time that you're <laughs> allocating yeah. to scent control that you should just be in the stand. And he just like, put his stink all over the ground all, all into the it. ground right there
0: yeah that's more <laughs> of a ritual i don't know if i <laughs> call that scent scent control our
6: bodies are constantly creating bacteria you just can't stop it that's where scent that's what scent is yep.
0: yeah and if you if, if you if you adapt the concept that you're just not going to be it and you're okay with that you'll be a better hunter i guarantee it i guarantee it because you know as much as you, we're all trying to sell products you know, like, like literally everybody is everybody trying to make the next best thing, and all that stuff is is marketing. I mean, realistically, um, you know, clothes that you know apparently shield your your odor. Yep.
5: That's kind uh, of ask you, especially you, because you're
6: talking about the no camo thing. What, so the, what's the secret to just wearing whatever, just not
0: caring? uh it? yeah. So you you definitely you can you can get it done in any clothes you got in your in your closet i guarantee it so i'll give you a couple couple staples to to check though if you're going to ditch the camel and you're going to start to gravitate to these uh um to to this this sort of path right so one thing to be conscious of um uh, so solids is is solids and drab colors like the military has been using that type of stuff forever i mean you first we got to define camouflage right camouflage is not just a pattern Camouflage is anything that'll blend you into your surrounding, right? So like we're still going to use camouflage You'll still wear things you think that'll blend in. I mean, you don't have to I don't believe so but that'll still give you that benefit of um, So one thing is complex patterns, um, you know, create change, right? Solids don't create change when you move in a solid garment. It's just solid nothing changes very complex patterns can they move around, right? So that's one thing. Um, if you're looking in your closet, or if you're looking to get in other things um, to wear into the woods, I would first encourage you to make sure that those things are not glowing. So a lot of the c- cottons out there and clothes they they're they're made with dyes. So if you take a black light to any of your clothes, you will find out that a lot of them. In, and this is this will trip you up. A lot of your basic camo that you buy too will will actually do this as well i mean like like i bought a um a camo shirt from walmart this was maybe like eight years ago or something but um just one of the cheap ones toss a black light over it and the thing like glowed like a damn uh, light you know so be mindful of that they have things you can wash those clothes in that knocks that right out but in low light um deer will pick that up They'll be able to see that that glowing. A lot of patches on hats do it. A lot of um, accessory badges on clothes will do it. Uh, you know, lighter clothes do it more than more than darker clothes. But so that's something to watch out for. Um, so uh, drab colors, uh, be careful for the dyes. Um, I you know I hunt in a lot of flannels. Uh, as you, I've been over the over the course of the last five years, I've been testing patterns and stuff and. As you can see, like that's my first model flannel that I'll be coming out with. It's very drabby. It's not too complex. It's you know earth tone. Uh, I'm a big believer in wool. Uh, wool is just an awesome, awesome material. You know it doesn't absorb that that scent or that moisture. You don't have to wash it like that. You literally air that stuff out. If anybody is not, especially down here in this heat, if you are not wearing wool underwear and socks, like you should be, because though I mean you could go hike all day. And the next day and I mean those things ain't gonna ain't gonna smell you can literally hang them out on the line and they'll be good as new in like three hours so that's a good thing Um, I I also I often kind of source things from like the backpacking um, and like just general outdoor industry because they make good quality stuff it's just usually pretty bright but if you if you if you look you can find some really quality like down pieces and garments that are um, you know not as flashy and, you know, just bass tones. Uh, I mean, honestly, the two of the bucks I killed, not this past year, but the year before, I wore my, my bright yellow down jacket the entire season. And it's got a hood on it. Now, I would have my flannel over it sometimes, but my yellow hood was popping out. Or I have a, um, a yellow vest, too, that I wear. Like, it's just about, you know, uh, the most efficient system to keep you warm and comfortable versus, like, what the pattern looks like. Um, if you want
3: something affordable, L.L. Bean makes real good, affordable stuff. If, if, I know it's an L- old company. But yeah, L.L.
0: actually—it might be a little pricey, actually, isn't it? It's, it's a little wa-
3: it, It's way cheaper than, like, if you were to go to a store and buy, like, standard fancy camo. It's yeah, bad. Yeah. Anyway, you know?
0: I mean, but, yeah, so so there really isn't a rhyme or reason to it. Um, but I would, I would go, I mean, like, olive greens, browns, khakis, like, depending on, like, what type of terrain you're hunting in. Ground hunters will resort to that lighter. Right? I, what do you? What do you? What do you wear? You wear a lot of can I mean, Sitka or what is it?
2: Uh, I wear Cryptek.
0: Cryptek. Okay. Yeah. Is that that like that pattern that's on that hat out
2: there? Um, yeah. so, so I use their their obscure transitional pattern as the best. It's like a kind of like a honeycomb, which is kind of what they originally came out with. With so splatters over top of it. That's gonna be my early season or greenery season. So turkey season too. Yeah. And then I moved to their Highlander print. Which is like more like a tannish color as the late season comes through.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you think about earth tones and all, like look at a deer, for example, you can watch it walk in, it'll stop. You flick an eye over here and look back and it's gone and it never yeah. moved. Until it flicks an ear or, or a tail and you see some of that white flick, you
0: won't see it and it's one color, it's brown. I mean, if you think if you think if you think that killing deer has any effect on camo, just just think about a couple hundred years ago, and, like, just, just think about, like, the beginning of time. Nobody ever wore camo, ever. Like, it was never a thing up until...
2: I thought they wore wolves.
0: You know, What's it? Some, some did. <laughs> the like head. wolf skin, can, Some you know. did, but, I mean, if anything, that, if anything you might be kind of... I don't know if I would be dressing up as a wolf trying to go after a deer, but... Um, <laughs>
4: yep yep
0: and that's where you get into that that iffy area a lot of the backpacking stuff has that that um nylon type flashy you know and that's like sun glare you can get sun glare off that stuff yeah wool you will never pull anything off that fleece too is a good one it's got texture like you said um so that's awesome um yeah any other questions about the camo i don't know if i covered that good enough Uh, um
2: I think for me, when it comes to just what I'm wearing in the woods, it's just going to be a lot of functionality yep. behind it. Whatever feels good. Yeah. Like, I could, I mean, we made a joke. I think you wore a suit, Zach, of like a costume or something. Yeah, like a
0: I, killed a, I killed killed a, a doe
1: with my bow. Um, it's a onesie, head to toe, 2XL from Walmart. It's got a bunch of kittens with Santa Claus hats on it. That was a challenge, and I'm going to keep doing it, too.
2: Yeah. There we go. It goes
0: back yeah. to the movement Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of that. So that's, that's yeah, th- no joke. <laughs> um, you were asking about the, the flannels. Yeah. So I'm actually I am waiting to get my first shipment in right now. So if anybody wants any more information on that, I can send it to them directly. Uh but I'm hoping to have them very soon. You um,
3: got remember in that booklet you guys got a code for it, too.
0: Yeah, you'll you'll all, you'll all be able to purchase uh that stuff at a discounted rate too when it becomes available. So if anybody's interested. Um, yeah, and that too, so even you know I've over the course of the years I've I've bought I buy flannels from everywhere I just I like flannel um, and I like wool garments so anytime I see something with a catchy pattern or a good weight to it I would buy it and over the course of the years I kind of just was like like building um, that exact pattern um, I killed like four deer in a row under 10 feet um, with that exact pattern so I landed on that for the first uh, model that green And The creams in it like the light colors really help with the contrast in early all the way through late Like so that that can be worn from opening day to closing day if you want Uh, there will be other colorways But what I also did too was 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 adapt a few tree stand specific um, elements to the to the garment is like so um, The butt area is extended by like seven inches So when you sit down in the stand you never have that that draft coming in through the waistline It's got a higher collar it has an internal, um, like your, your vest area um, has a, a wind shear with a spray membrane on it. So it really helps. Uh, it breathes out, but it cuts down that wind. That on top of the heavyweight wool construction is like really good for an outer layer. So uh, my typical go to like layering system, even for like the frigid temps, I know you guys don't get that stuff down here, but it'll get negative 30 degrees up in Iowa. And, you know, I have my base, my base layer wool stuff on. And then I'll usually do, you know, maybe like a a midweight fleece. And then when it gets ext- – and then that'll go over it. This will always be the outer layer. And it just – all that changes throughout the year are the, the sub-layers, right? So even at the coldest temps, if I put a down jacket on over a mid-layer fleece with that on the outside, negative 30, I'm I'm good to go for a three-hour sit. Uh, and usually I'm moving. But so it's, it you know, and it's got pockets. It's got big lower pockets. um it's got upper pockets, too. Uh, a lot of different pockets on that thing. Pack straps, too. Yeah, and it also, too, um, it, it folds in on itself, and there's a system in which you roll it up, and just like a motorcycle, like a, bed, like, a, like a bed blanket, right? So it'll go right down into a pack roll, and it'll clip to your stand, super nice and streamlined. Um, it's got snaps on the back for that, so you can transport and don't have to end up stuffing it in um, anywhere. So that's just a little bit on that. Clothing things. Um any any questions specifically of what we're talking about or should I just keep going to the list for a couple more? Um anybody got anything specific? I
4: got a What's y'all's opinion on the red moon? I got to looking at that this year and I've got a large family, probably thirty five of us on. We got to looking at the red moon guide. Have you ever heard of it? The moon guide? The red moon guide, yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah, the, so the, the moon phase is a very real thing. Um, the red moons, what, it, what a red moon typically is, is when that moon phase, or when the peak moon phase, I think the red is overhead. So when the moon is overhead and it coincides with peak movement hours of uh, like uh, dusk or dawn, that's where you get like the best hunting. So the deer have the most gravitational pull for feeding. So that's one thing to, to to it's important to take into account when you're looking at moon phase, right? When we're talking about the moon, that is all we are talking about is the gravitational pull and feeding patterns. It's got nothing to do with anything else. And this is where like if you guys listen to the podcast, me and the old man butt heads all the time. It's not so an light thing, what's it? That? It's not an available light thing. No, that that'd be like breeding and stuff. Like this the, the moon is all 100% feeding. So um and what where I interject with that is you can use that it's I think it's very good early and even so late it'll give you those key times for feeding but the rut affects so much of the season that I I always take it with a grain of salt I don't let it dictate where I hunt but I might I might hedge my bets and and stick closer to areas if I know them or closer to betting areas if I know the moon phase is not that great you know, closer to feeding areas if I know I got a good time. But when that red moon coincides with that couple hours before dark um, and couple hours uh, um, at first light, that's when you need to capitalize on that red moon time. So I would, yeah, I encourage everybody to look at that stuff, um, and you know, pay attention to that because it is a thing. But when you start to try, like when bucks start getting squirrely and you know, mid October and starting to late October, and you start scrape hunting and you you know that those you know and in the rut you can argue that you know the does will still be going on that that moon phase pattern so you can you can try and capitalize on those times but it is it is feeding primarily is there a moon phase that
3: you're like not messing with this
0: no there's not because just because i'm never i don't ever let anything keep me out of the woods really i just i just do it smart so even if i if i think a spot is garbage i go find a new spot um, if the moon phase is not good, I go get myself in a situation where the moon phase is good. Because there's no such thing as a bad moon phase, really. It's just, it's all about what you got, you know. If you got a hand of cards, like, you know, you, usually there's a play. It's just a matter of, you know, it might not be the greatest play, but there's still a play, you know. Um,
6: when you say moon phase, are you talking about positioning positioning? or the
0: actual phase of that moon? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm talking both of those, because I think with the red moon, the red moon chart, uh, it gives you those, those, it broadcasts those times as red moon. Now, te- technically, there's a technical phase for it, but really what it does and what the red moon is, is when, so the most pull comes from directly overhead and directly underfoot, so it... This chart in particular labels the red moon as those times. So it'll tell, you, it'll tell you by color when the moon is overhead and underfoot, and that turns into a red-hot phase when that, so once a month or twice a month, those times coincide with the average time where deer tend to move, which would be dawn and dusk. And when it does, you get those red moons. So you can have a red moon in the evening at 6 p.m., and you can also have a red moon in the morning at 7 a.m. So it, you know, so it's technically not like the the fa- it, it is in a phase, but this chart goes off of just positioning. yeah, it, it goes off of positioning really. Um, so you could correlate to, to a phase. I don't know what if it'd be like uh, waxing or or whatever, what whatever that would be.
6: I help run a. Um a hunting club in Illinois that we run 25 cameras on last year and me personally 10 in Tennessee and it is it I did my own I had my book did all my notes everything it was spot on it was crazy to watch all across 10,000 acres in Illinois they all got up at one at one time there's and after a rain too like that's weather going in there's just so many factors but that moon I'm a firm believer
1: I, I had a season where it was just like the whole season laid out pretty well with it. Uh, even the locations it kind of specified, which me and Cody have talked about it. Where your mind can, and, and I believe this too, your mind can tell you that transition is anywhere, betting is anywhere if you're hunting in the that, woods, and yeah. that your mind can make these patterns happen too if you want it to. But with that said, I I truly felt confident that year using it and had it pretty well followed out and you can look at trail camera stuff too. I mean it I'm pretty undecided but I I think it's something you look at for yeah. sure. Uh,
4: yeah. I mean down now to we the, really start looking at the red moon guide halfway through the season, And we went back to the bucks that were killed early on the days that we killed they were all from every buck killed. Well, on red. Moon. I mean, I
0: was now did did you take any account to whether? uh so whether it was uh, transition or bedding or feeding or
4: there were some killed uh, on the red moon guide it'll tell you it say hunt close to bed or yep. right? it'll say transition and bed
0: yep
4: there were some killed on both but every day was red moon and there was full moon yep
0: that
4: weren't red nothing yep but those full moons and those red moons like you said where it coincided with the feeding time yep those are I mean, Those are,
0: those are prime, t- I mean, the moon, if you, don't, if you don't believe that the moon affects um, all animals, us inf- uh, us including, you know, I mean, that, that's a fact. I mean, there's studies on that. Um, you know, I can't source them, but if you do any sort of just search around the Internet, um, that's a fact. So that's something definitely to look into. I, I wouldn't, you know, some guys, they will get hung up on it a little bit, though. So take that with a grain of salt and where i kind of so with that being said um, that chart was kind of created to, for guys to be able to schedule vacations and know when they want to jump in or when they want to get more aggressive which it can be an awesome tool to do that you can also use it the flip side so you can take those black moon days and you can utilize those days to get into the betting areas and get into these shit transitions um and an opportunity to work closer or manipulate ground, knowing that they're not going to travel too far to feed. Um, so that's that's something to take into account too. Um, let's see. What? Oh, here's a gear question. What boots do you use uh, to hunt with? We're just having this conversation. Oh, okay. Um, my bad. Oh, no, sorry. I was saying, sorry. No, no, I was saying <laughs> you,
3: you and I were just having because I've been texting you. For oh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Boots. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah
3: i'm trying to buy i'm trying to buy better boots cody's tried seven thousand pairs of boots
0: the boot guy oh man yeah so i got a problem i got a problem with boots and packs like because i want the perfect set of boots and i want the perfect pack but they don't always resort to i want the perfect thing for for everything though not just hunting but anyway so well with that being said i mean it's a good segue uh lacrosse is actually a sponsor of the show they are and um one thing we're giving away is a a pair of lacrosse boots um so whoever you know, your choice throughout the website. They make some good stuff. Um, me personally, what's
3: that? I was saying their stuff's great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They got really good stuff. Um, I don't know if a lot of guys are wearing rubber boots down here. I've always grabbed, well, not always. Um, back in the day I used to wear like your typical Rocky boots and stuff. And I would just, I would just burn through them like so quick. Like just, just, you know, you, they were great at first. I mean, a little clunky and big, but comfortable, warm. But I, the, the amount of walking I did was just like they'd be they'd be shot in a couple of months. So early on, I started to gravitate toward, uh, or maybe like midway through, I started to to, to dive into more of like uh, these Western-style hiking boots or like mountaineering-type shoes, like uh, not necessarily a um, heavy hunting boot, but more so a hiking boot. Right. Um, I've had really good luck with. Um, Danners, Scarpa, uh, Hanvog, what's another couple, Uh, La La Sportiva, like all these are more, like you'll find them more predominantly like kind of hiking and mountaineering and stuff, but they make really good, like the way I look at this is like these companies have been making boots for people to do nothing but put miles on and to hike up rugged terrain for decades. And a lot of these hunting boots are just, a lot of it's marketing. They put a camel pattern on it and then they toss up, you know, some cheesy pitch on a sole or something, you know. So there's not a whole lot of like backing I would I would find. So I always gravitate to those. They're they're uh, most of these boots are, you know, a lot of them are made like um, some are made in the states, some are made overseas in Europe, but they're all soleable too. So a lot of these like, you know, you can beat these things down for 5, 6 years and send them out and get a new sole on them and you're rocking and like, you know, I mean, so they're really good really good routes there or options to run um,
3: if you're hunting rubber boots, like that's, I would, I would reference just going back to lacrosse a little bit. They've been in the lead on, I feel like on rubber boots for a long time, um, all the way back to like their LaGrange. Everybody's probably seen the OG green boot with the yellow topper around it, or you probably owned one at one point. That stuff's awesome. I really like, so they now, they have like um, that, uh, I don't even know what it's called, like that, that softer, what's it called? Um, neoprene. The neoprene, yeah, they got the neoprene liners. But, like, where I hunt North Carolina, we have a lot of snakes, so they make those neoprene line, um, like, knee-high boots with a snake guard in them, so you can you kind of get the best of both worlds where you're waterproof, but you're not worried about stepping on a copperhead or something like that. Um, you know, I, I try to double-duty when I can just because of the frequency at which I run into, run into copperheads and moxins there, um, but, you know, I don't think you can go wrong just because I'm, I'm sure you guys, like I do, I'm constantly trekking through water. When I go to the Midwest and I hunt with Cody or anywhere in there, I don't have to cross water that much. So I love hikers. They're, they're killer. Um, but down here, you know, I might as well just live in a pair of knee highs. This, I'm always hunting swamps. So it makes sense.
0: Anybody else want to put any boot info out there? Oh, hit? uh what's that other? Sellowa? Yeah, these guys. is another good brand, <laughs> yeah. another European brand. Uh, notice the Hi- flexibility. They're very <laughs> flexible.
1: No, uh they're not that expensive. Um they're an Italian hiking boot. Uh, a lot of people are actually starting to use them for hunting and all. Um but these these are super light. These ones aren't insulated or anything. And I think if you're a first responder, you can get discounts on them, pretty killer discounts. Uh, but all in all, I've been really pleased. I've put right many miles on them, and they look a little dirty, but that's about it. Waterproof. Cody, have you ever used
3: hip waders to get to a spot?
0: No, no, no. Never. Has anybody else I, ever used hip waders? I despise to get to a spot? hip waders. We've got a couple guys. Yeah, see. I Mike, think.
3: Mike Perry knows.
6: I think Crispy's too. I heard somebody say it. Crispy's too. Um, I love those. Other than my stand, the boots are probably. I don't have to worry about them. I just feel great the past three seasons.
5: Yep. So for, Trash. <laughs> for the last two seasons in Alabama, uh, I struggled with getting cold feet. And what I came to the conclusion of was that in a stand absorbing a lot of the cold and then on top of that hiking so far between swapping out of rubber and getting into a merino sock and a lace-up boot, it doesn't have to be anything crazy, but something that your the sock's going to get the moisture off your feet. Your feet can breathe. That, Dude, rubber everything. boots are
0: like – man, I feel like they're just a trap for, for heat and sweat, and they just end in a bad day. Like, now, they seemingly keep your foot dry at first. Correct. But, but go, going back to that wool thing, that's the key takeaway
3: there. Like the wool socks. Like Cody, Cody's a big fan of alpaca wool socks. Yeah, like
0: alpaca. If you haven't messed around with alpaca wool – that's a, a, that's good stuff. It's just got like I think it just kicks the. I mean, it, it way better properties than actual like merino wool or standard wool. But there's they another the,
5: one like ribaroo wool or something. Yeah. I, I can't remember what it's called. Um,
0: the thing about that though is like the trick like with cold feet is you have to allow your feet to breathe. Like like you like that's it's not even about like you can have the best wool sock and that wool doesn't absorb that moisture like you got to let that air out you've got to get that that foot dry somehow so the bigger the boot you know the more heavy um, usually the more your foot will sweat some people's feet sweat more than others but um, more often than not you'll be better off with a lighter boot that's more breathable to keep your feet warm which you would think is counterintuitive but it's not um, you know you don't want to bottle that all that stuff in so that's Yeah, yep,
5: yep, yep. A takeaway, too, is your feet are probably always going to get cold, but they're going to get really cold and rubber. You have to get where it's a manageable cold.
0: Yep. Yep, I agree. And, you know, even, too, like one thing I will, in certain circumstances, um, I'm not afraid. Like I'll take – I will take an extra pair of socks sometimes. Like if I know that I'm going to be walking – really far or maybe getting wet or having that chance and I have done the garbage bag thing before um, for sure I've also heard I have a couple buddies that swear by this I've never specifically tried it but the wool sock over the boot like I I mean I think it insulates the boot from the stand like in I got buddies that swear by it so if you got an old pair of wool socks you can cut in half you said I see you raised your hand right
2: Yep. The indirect yeah. heat, not only really heat, but cold. That
6: really accelerates your feet getting cold. The wool socks. It's
0: yep. That it. like Byron
6: shot out right there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. that really saved me a lot, given my feet warm.
0: Yep. Yep. Little little hack there. Um, well, how much time we got? Um, I think we're, we're good. We okay. Good All right. Okay. Let's see here. So, when setting up on a trail, do you like to set up facing the trail? Trail running left to right, or looking down the trail, front to back. Based on cover or terrain, like dead in line with it, or um, letting it cross you, I guess. Okay, let's see. Uh, so facing yeah. the trail, I think the way Versus I'm the, hand hand the way I'm hearing
3: hand 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 that is just like All set, Looking down. Which forward. way do you? I think it, the situation yeah. is heavily dependent.
0: Like
6: Help, which way you shoot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah so I, I think I think this is where. Um, Every situation's gonna differ just a little bit based on your wind, where the trail's located, you know, um, where you anticipate the deer coming from, what your preferred style of shooting is. Um, so I think it's important with a question like this is to th- make sure you check all the boxes and think of all those aspects when setting up for this location. So you, you could, like to answer this question, you could set up both ways and end up with a kill. You know I mean like very 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 much so but it's got to be strategic in the fact of how everything's laid out you know and the biggest thing is is you got to make sure your wind directions right and you got to keep movement to a minimum Um, and usually when you go through that process of checking these boxes it's a process of elimination right so you need your wind to be right you know and then you need to make your shot you need to have an accessible spot in a tree you need to have a tree there all these things start to eliminate, like, they, as they fall, it's a domino effect, and pretty soon you're left with, like, you know, not a whole lot of options, and then you've got to go where, where I think you've you got the best feeling for, you know, more importantly, to get the kill. Some people sacrifice on that, and they get a little paranoid, so they step back. And it's great seeing deer and all, but, like, we're all looking to harvest the deer, not just watch them. So, um, you know, you've got to do your diligence and check those boxes, um anything you guys i guess Go ahead.
4: i was just gonna say uh time of day yep. is it a morning hunt is it an evening hunt uh where this trail is and where you plan on setting up on said trail you know is the is if i'm setting up perpendicular to the trail and i know that bedding is off to my left and i'm doing an evening hunt you know what i mean like the buck should come from left to right hypothetically right if my food source is to the right that i say that backwards some people are you good mason you want some water um, <laughs> you, your crayon, you, you see where i'm go- you see where i'm going with this it's like where take a take a step back and identify what's what and where is around that trail where is he coming from where is he going to and set up according to that based off the time of the
3: day. It just goes back to that whole thing of like we talked about earlier is like, there's nothing that had, there's no one answer. You're not gonna walk into a spot and be like, oh, like I wanna set up on this trail here because of this. It's like, well, no, like, just like the guy said, if you, if you go in in the morning, you're setting up on your rising thermals. If you're going in the evening, you might be setting up on falling thermals. Um, you know, I'm still, I mean, something I'm still trying to learn and get better about, Cody talks about all the time is the creep. Um, and that's a real factor too. Um, so, it might be a good segue if you want to touch on the
0: creep the creep, the creep will, is. the creep will get you for sure um, uh yeah so the the creep if any you could go listen to this podcast too we have one on it on it 's just a a little touch on thermals or maybe a a a, a segment about thermals that people don 't understand but there 's a con thermals are always moving they don 't just stop they never stop so there 's um what this is is kind of a term that the old man coined uh when he called it a creep because it 's this it 's this subtle overpowering force of thermals that will overpower any wind, like it'll overpower the wind direction. And the only way to know how this is gonna be affected is by the geographical layout of the land, right? So, um, you know, these thermals are always settling and it's all got to do with air temperature, right? The rising and the, the, yeah, rising and falling of, of temperature and even in instances with a stiff north wind, um, that wind will most likely subside at some point or the other, or some you know, some time or another. And when it does, the natural thermal pull takes over. So if you're in a situation to where you are, uh, this is the, the easiest way that I can think to describe it. So. Um, if you're sitting next to a big let's say a dried up pond right and you're sitting on the edge of it and you know you have a wind blowing at your back and it's pushing out of that pond as hard as can be as the sun goes down and the air starts to cool the thermals um the thermals will want to fall to the lowest point to the bottom of that dried out pond and it will not matter that the wind is blowing the opposite way because it's, it, it can only fight the thermal so much. So that's where you get this general creep of this air that is flowing against the, the direction of the wind. And this is the reason why a lot of people um, end up getting busted and, and don't know why. They think, oh, I had the right wind. I don't know what happened. He, like, he, he got scared. Or, a lot of times they catch just that little. And it's not a, it's not a crazy amount of scent. Um, but it's just enough to where it hits their nose and that can make or break a hunt by far, you know? So uh, that, that is something that physically cannot be tracked. Um, there's some apps out there that, that do, I forget the names, but there's some things that'll get you close and it'll kind of show you what, what air will do around certain features. But this kind of goes back to what Bobby said before, you don't really know until you're in that situation and the toughest part about the creep is it so slow that there's really nothing there's really nothing you can do to, to gauge how that's happening there really isn't even if you drop milkweed like that milkweed will eventually fall before that creep takes over so the only way to really master that and if actually it's probably not it's not even possible to master it but if you understand it you can make decisions uh, based off of that general concept and the only way to do that is to get familiar with the things you can tell, like just basic thermal pull and how thermals react around a certain ridge, or how you know you might get blowback. Uh, in Iowa, we have a lot of um, uh, bluffs, and then like Wisconsin and Minnesota in that area, and there's real steep, steep banks and bluffs, and and the wind does some crazy stuff, and the thermal will will whip around, and and you know we have a, a natural thermal siphon down there, right? The the Mississippi River, it is a huge like. You know, this, this past year, I was hunting right on it. Anywhere within, like, almost, I would probably say, a half mile from the riverbank. And now this is high elevation above the river. It didn't matter what direction the wind was going. It was pulling to that river. And I didn't even realize that at first until I was like, am I getting a thr-? Like, I was, I was well away from the, the, the bluffs, right? And then I put it all together, and I'm like, well, it's this giant f- siphon. You got two huge, probably couple hundred foot bluffs right on the side of a river it's all flowing one way that is pulling air constantly there is no way to hunt that with any sort of westerly wind you just can't do it it's all going to suck back um uh the opposite direction so knowing that changed the way i hunted that piece for for forever now i'll never hunt it the same and i'll always keep that in mind that i gotta you know and essentially what it did was it made half the property shit
3: and those bucks bet on that too. Like yeah, we, they we,
0: they know that. They they bet on that rim. They bet on that bluff rim, and they know that all day they got scent coming to their nose, all day, every day. And and then even when they got a hard wind overpowering it, coming to their backs, and it just it it they get that creep coming coming back the other way. And um, so yeah, there's there's ways that you can kind of identify it but it's just a it's just tough it's a tough nut you know
3: that's an interesting that to carry over that conversation too like that property has tons of hiking trails on it It, it's got a bunch of people that are on that property and those deer are still bedding i mean it wasn't 200 yards off the hiking trail on that on these steep ridge faces because they just are so they're they're so
0: tuned in you don't need to be you don't always need to be in the remote the most remote location to get good deer activity a lot of times the overlooked spots and the spots closest to the trailhead are some of the best um, and people just walk by them because they think oh well I'm too close to the road and realistically if everybody has that same thought what's the safest spot for the buck is right right next to the road so it sounds it's hard to, to make that leap but um, don't overlook it if you see it um, There's nothing like listening to an interstate
3: right at sunrise. Yeah, it
0: that's it's not the best, but I mean, <laughs> I got um, nothing but exhaust brakes uh, in my spot, so it's pretty tough to hear. Yep. Okay, so here's a here's an interesting question. Um how to set up a stand and sticks in the morning in the dark safely and and um or in an efficient manner, uh safely and efficient. And I would really say, man, uh take your time. The biggest thing is just, you know, if If you're not, if you can't set up a stand with your eyes closed, like, I mean, if you haven't been doing it for that long or you're still getting familiar with your gear, you just got to give yourself ample time to slowly do it. Don't rush. You should never be rushing when you're setting up stands. Eventually, you will become lightning quick with these things. As soon as you, any of these stands, they're all designed in the same way. Uh, Lone Wolf, XOP, Custom Gear, like, they all generally hang in the same way. So odds are if you're running an XOP now and you graduate to a custom gear or you're, or you're running an old uh, original lone wolf, like, I, I promise you, once you get the reps in with that thing, you are going to become so efficient, and it'll be easy to hang in the dark. But at first, if it's tough, you just, you just got to take your time. You got to give yourself that time to adjust. And do some practice, too. Yeah. Like, that's I know I've been guilty of it, as I'm sure everybody
3: has, is, You like spend all the time preparing for opening day and maybe you've glassed all these bucks in a field and you know exactly where you're going to go and then you get there and all of a sudden it's like your whole system is off. You make a mistake, you drop a stick, you don't have this right or you don't have that right. Um, I, I love as it comes, as season gets closer, if I run out to hit the gym in the evening, before I get back and hit a shower in the house, I'll just hang my stand once real quick. It takes me 10 minutes. I just go through the ropes of just just boop right in the yard, boop back down, and then I just do that, you know, every few days or so and so as we get closer to season, and I just get all those jitters out, you know. By the time I get to opening morning or, open or evening,
0: you guys got any uh, pointers? Anybody do anything for uh, effectively ha- hanging in the morning? Any any rhythm or um, pointers that you can give out? I I stopped using a headlamp for the most part, and so my eyes weren't accustomed to that
1: bright light by the time I got to the tree, and you'd be surprised how often. You don't need any additional light at all, and you can still see what you're doing. Um, the headlamp will adjust your eyes, and when you get to the tree, you still can't see anything without the headlamp on. So I don't use it at all. I, I see terrible
6: in the dark, I feel like. So I try not to to get to my tree, but when I get to my tree, I have a very dim red light that I just make sure every strap's on top of every buckle, work your way up. Just most importantly, know your gear, though
0: practice with it wear a safety harness
6: wear a safety harness
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so sounds kind of like an obvious answer and we'll go through in the workshop more of those um kind of tips and tricks uh okay so stand or sit while in stand
5: stand
6: the whole stand.
0: time bobby i'd like to sit sit it's actually sit 50 50 situation okay <laughs> lean stand. against the tree Sit. I'm a
3: 50-50 guy too. I mean, I sit probably the first part, but I'll slowly in the evenings I'll stand closer to kids. Um, in the mornings I kind of rotate back and forth.
0: I like yeah, to
4: when kneel. We get, when I get oh. the prime time, yeah. <laughs> Your dad said one time I, I, he'll crouch. Yeah, I stand up. Prime time? Yeah. Like if it's a morning hunt and it's starting to crack, I'm up already. I'm up against the the tree, trying to, to blend in with the you know the vertical line of the tree, and then. In the evening time when I, the hairs on my neck start to stand up, I'm like, yeah, I need to, I need to be up and, and be ready to go. But I'm also not at the point. Uh, I got a, a good buddy by the name of Cody. He, um, 80% of the time, 80 to 90% of the time, he will shoot his deer sitting down over his left knee. Yep. And I'm not I know that guy. I'm trying to get him to teach me to where I can figure out the woods and the deer so I can do the same thing yeah um otherwise and i ha- I have to stand and have the bow in my hand and i don't know about you guys mine's sitting because i have a crossbow it's just stabilization
2: mm-hmm. i can't hold it standing up as well
1: Yep. Yeah. well i planned for it but in the 2020 uh buck i i had to i was in a tiny tree and had to stand up and spin 180 and shake the hell out of the tree and still ended up killing the deer but I was planning for him to come on the other yeah, side. Yeah, you got I mean yeah <laughs> squat style. Do as yeah. best as you can, yeah. you know. Doesn't yeah. always work so
3: you, need, you need to deck.
1: <laughs>
3: so
0: um, you almost got like a you need you get you get in that power stance at prime time. Um, see, see not, if I'm I'm I stand if I stand though like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna you might disagree. Your
4: perfect your perfect statue that you were briefing earlier is huh. sitting down
0: yep. for you. Yep.
4: For me, it's standing up and putting my hands in one place and leaning up against a tree and sitting still. And the only thing that's moving is my eyes. Yep. You so, know, or slow and, head movements. And this is where so it's this,
0: per shooter's preference. It, I think it is. Um, I personally think, though, that there is more, because let's so say you take your whole body, you're more amped to move standing up than you are sitting down because you're eliminating half the equation. And it's just like if, if, if more people would shoot sitting down, you are so much more stable sitting down if you practice that way because you don't have your legs, I think, in the equation. And especially if your back's against the tree, like you're, you're minimizing sway of every possibility, right? So you're stabilizing your entire body, like your feet. There's no way your, your feet can move your, your, your legs off. There's no way your core is moving because it's against the tree, right? that that's all you are so locked in and it's so it's so deadly um versus you know when when you when you lean forward and even you disengage from the tree this way which you can do but there's still you can still pivot here you can still move your entire torso from waist up right and then when you're standing now you have all this lean you know you can i mean and and this is this is where I get in dead zone like if I'm standing I just tend to like Swing. like it's it's this tiny bit of movement, like that. After about forty-five minutes, I, I just can't help it. You probably got stiff legs because I mean, all your days of standing, at attention probably. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't know if that's. But I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying? Like like that couldn't like could.
4: I like how the jab came. Yeah. came <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just slow. saying. Like kind I don't of know. Just crept in um, there real. <laughs>
0: maybe that has. A, maybe that plays into it. You know, more discipline with a stiff stand. I don't know. Uh, um, Michael Perry, do you like to stand or sit?
4: Situational.
3: Kind of situational. Yeah. I think
0: we can all agree situational, yeah, I, except I, for Cody. Yeah, well no, I still think if you're comfortable standing, stand. Or if you like to sit, sit. I'm just saying that's why I do it. Um,
4: well
0: I don't I that would never happen. sit eight to ten hours. Uh, I, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't get myself to do that. But yes, I will I will typically I will sit the entire sit if I need to stand up the stretch I'll stand up the stretch um, like if I need to move positions but you gotta understand a lot of the times I'm sitting it's it's in such it's in such a position to where I can't let myself get out of character if you will because I, I it's happened to me twice and I can tell you the story like tit for tat I got screwed by just looking over my shoulder and, and it, it's you know, I'm just typically in very tight close quarter scenarios to where I have to be ready I have to my, my movement has to be quick especially in these like so cedar and pine thickets I'll be hunting one trail you couldn't get more than six feet up in a tree if you even wanted to There's no way you'd get a shot through so, you know, even if I don't have to trim anything it, I'm hunting one to two trails and a lot of times by the time I see that rack, I'll have to make that decision of whether that deer is a shooter. By the time I get a glimpse to by the time I have to execute that shot, it can be a matter of seconds. So um, you know in one instance in one particular instance, I was in in uh, this 40 acre hedge thicket. If anybody here has hunted hedge, uh, if you've been in the Midwest, I don't know if they have any hedge here, like the big hedge apples and the gnarly like almost look like Alice in Wonderland, like nightmare trees. Um, trying to think of what, what would be like sim- it'd be similar. Like, it'd be like super, like really, really dense woody or privet. Yeah, so it's like uh, real thorny hardwood that just tang- entangles and all this stuff. And the, they, they're like apple tree stature, but all interlocking limbs. So you're hunting this stuff. And I knew I, I tracked this buck down to one trail and um, I was actually 50 yards off that trail and spotted him, and I knew where I needed to be, and I knew where I was supposed to be in the in the beginning. But anyway, so all this all this putting the doing the the, the puzzle right. I told myself, I'm like, all right, if you get there, and like the only spot I could get was so point blank. But I told myself, like, if you can sit still till till 10 o'clock and not move, you'll smoke that deer, and it'll be game over, right? So, um, and I got in there, and I sat still for the entire day, or the entire morning. Sorry. This was, this was long for me. Like, I think it was like three hours. And normally I'm out in two. But this buck was moving through late, and when I spotted him, I was actually scouting. So, so I was like, oh, crap. Okay, so I'm sitting there looking at him. You know, I had my watch there. had my bow just ready to rock the whole time. My bow was actually on my lap. Um, and then I just, you know, anticipated the shot being. By the time I was going to see this buck, he was going to be, like, in Abrams' area. And then I was going to just be able to sneak a quartering away shot as he moved past me. Because there's no way you're gonna lift that bow up and draw on them when they're, their peripherals right there it's not gonna happen, so I let them get by me a little bit and I'm sitting there didn't I mean dead, completely dead the entire morning ten o'clock rolls around it's 10.04. o4 and I'm like I'm like he he took the trail behind me like and I was gonna back up so I could get those two trails but this is where I kick myself in the ass with that now and I don't do that I always I always pick a trail right so it's 10.04, and I'm like I'm like he. I was like, there was like 10 minutes ago, I thought I heard something. He probably, he skirted back of me, and I went like this to look over and just scope the backwoods. and I turned around, and he's right there looking at me at four yards, just staring at me. And I'm like, and then he blew the loudest freaking whistle, and, then, and never seen that deer again the entire season. And that was like the first five days. So I screwed up that opportunity, but that's just an, an example of like how I need to be on that, in that, now, if I was a stander, I'd have been ready standing. But it's just, it happens so quick that I, I have my, my, my routine and my rhythm that I get into a sitting and having the bow propped in the exact same location uh, to be able to capitalize on those instances.
3: But I think, I think it's important to note, too, like that, the, like, the way Cody's hunting there is super relatable to us in the southeast because if you have ever hunted, like... 10 year or younger pine thickets where you're hunting singular trails and those but same same yep. method same process yeah. and a lot of times you can't even you can't stand when you're and, in those trees because they're yeah. so small
0: and that's what i get and that's what i mean about having to get your bow off a hanger like in that situation you got to be like you got to be game on at all times like there's no time to grab your bow and if you do grab your bow you'll most likely get busted um, can we elaborate you you just mentioned
4: Most times I'm out in two, but often I stay to three, and I'm sitting here wait two hours. Hours. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm in the stand, and it's nine. It's been light for two hours and some change. I'm like, I'm referencing. A month ago or a week ago when I lowered my bow down at 1030 and was like, I'm out, I'm done, it's 1030. And thing. I lo- lowered my bow down and looked, and 30 yards away, he's walking right to me. Yep. And so, then, so now, fast forward a, a day later, a week later, whenever, it's now nine, I've been in two hours, two and a half hours, whatever the case may be, or more. I'm ready to go, but I'm telling myself, Stick well, you, ne- you never know. He could yeah, come out you, at eleven. He could come out. So, is, could you deep dive into the two-hour and three-hour window that you that you talk
0: about? The right only there? reason I was there for three hours is because I visually sighted that buck when I was scouting. Otherwise, I'd have never been there for three hours. Now, that is a hot time, though. Um, that late morning is a good transition, you know. And this is where you can start to look at moon phase. So, you know, and and kind of gauge that transition. I've just always had the mentality of. I don't have the patience to wait that long and in my mind I think if I'm I have this is one hand either I wait this long and possibly fail or I go create my own luck and and I always choose uh, the latter because I just I don't know and the only reason and I when I when I was sitting till 10 it's because I knew I witnessed with my own eyes that buck that I wanted to shoot walked that trail at 10 o'clock and it was the only reason I was there if you know every year I hear from buddies that kill slammers at 11 o'clock. It still won't make me sit till 11 o'clock. I mean, there's no way I'm sitting till 11 o'clock. So I might, I might get down and go set another stand and be in the, be sitting somewhere at 11 o'clock. But I've just never been. Uh, it's like, it's like turkey hunting. I've always been the guy to just bump birds, just keep bumping them. Just oh, oh, we bumped those. Let's go find some more. To where, like, you know, you might take the more conservative approach, like, no, them birds are going to come in. We just got to wait till 3. I would be like, what? <laughs> 3 o'clock? And my grandpa, on the other hand, that old timer will go in the blind, or he'll go sit up against a tree with his book, and he'll kill a slammer bird every year and not move a muscle, and he comes in like, oh, oh the old legend did it again, and he's just, he just waits it out. I know I can wait it out, I just I can't get myself to do it. So I would rather go uh, have an action-packed hunt and control my own, you know, fate, I guess, then put all my eggs in that basket of waiting and then have that bird not show up. And it's the same thing with deer. It's kind of how I look at the same, same concept.
4: So um, I, I guess you kind of answered the question as far as you're not necessarily getting down after two hours. Oh, sorry. Hours yeah, it's and, not. And pop, I don't and smoke. I don't you're, have you're yep,
0: maneuvering. I don't have the two, two hours like in my head. It's not two hours. That's generally what I'll do is I'll let the morning dictate how long I sit. Typically it's not longer than two hours because normally I'm trying to capitalize on this specific area, whether it's a transition or a feeding area, or if it's bedding, it might be longer. So depending on what area I'm in is gonna first off uh, depend on how long I sit and then what type of action I had. So if I have, if I have a tank squeezed by me, I'll give it a little while longer. Like, or if I see a bunch of deer, I'm not just gonna get down and leave because I've been there for two hours. It's, it's when the spot goes cold in my mind is when I leave. So it's not necessarily to a time restraint. And then most of the time I will relocate, depending on you know if I got to work or something, I can't. Like, but um, if I got all day, I might relocate or start to do more homework for the next hunt or the following morning versus just being a stand.
3: We got about five minutes we're we'll gonna do. Any questions? Oh
0: yeah, let's open it up here to get a couple questions. Um, I think we covered a lot, lot of these. There might be a couple we missed, but. Anything um, you guys are thinking?
3: That you want covered that we didn't touch on that you're curious about what are,
1: what are
3: Say that's a great segment to the next discussion, which is the mapping.
0: Like, the mapping discussion, yeah. How does that correlate to mapping? Because he was saying,
3: like, what do you do outside of like I, I'm gonna take I'm taking that as in the woods. Like, what do you know? He's talking about this? like just everything, like, like anything yeah. and everything oh, okay. that you do
0: in life yeah. to make you. Uh, I think your you're more so talking about things that are not related to hunting, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah.
2: I think for me, it's—I uh, mean, I do—you know—fitness, mental health, all that. But the power of visual, visualization. So it's like visualizing. You know, I set goals. So once you set a goal, you know, you're a lot more likely to achieve something that you write down. And so whether that's in a business, a professional sense, or that's in a personal, a family sense, or a hunting sense, when I write down goals, like I have a, a vision board that hangs up in my garage. It's a one, three, and a five-year vision board. But all the way down to the, the point of me releasing now a bolt instead of an arrow, I have visualized that moment. So in the moment, like people ask me, do I get nervous? No, I don't because I've already visualized it. And I visualize killing that buck, that specific buck that I'm after. So in everything that I do, whether it be in a business sense, personal sense, you know, it's it's all about visualization to me. It makes a huge difference, but you know, people, talk about getting the jitters in the moment. I think a lot of that, you know, you're sitting around, you're gaining all this info today, but when it comes down to the moment that you have to kill that buck, that's your trophy buck, are you going to freeze? Are you going to shake to death so you can't make a shot? Or are you going to be cold-blooded and and kill it? And so, visualization is what it comes down to for me. Now, after, if you watch my videos or you know me personally, I lose my mind because it's like months or years of build-up out in that moment but visualization is a big thing for me and all things whether it be you know what I've touched on or even fitness we were talking about nutrition and fitness before we got going today and it's like everything's about like
0: setting goals and then visualizing uh, achieving those yeah that, yeah um, I can segue into something if uh, the only
3: thing I would add to that is for me I like I like to do I don't like my like for example if I'm gonna go do a workout I think a lot of people on the, the type of fitness or the type of thing that you do. I like to incorporate some sort of struggle into my day to day. Like if I push myself to do something I'm uncomfortable with, because I think a lot of times it when, you know, when I'm on stand, um, it's easy to be in that mindset of like, oh, I can just go do this or oh, I could just hop down or you just give in to that kind of like guilty thought process because we're so conditioned as people today to just be instant gratification and everything is easy and everything is right there in front of you and um, I was talking to a group of guys and I, I give credit to Cody with this because he he always preached to me it's like if it's cold he may have to be cold and he's fine with being cold because if you have to whatever you gotta do it's what you gotta do but having that mentality where it's like the struggle is the struggle you're not gonna avoid the struggle whether it's sitting on a stand and having to be rock solid when it's 20 degrees, or like there were a couple times this year Cody and I were hunting together and I was literally seven yards from deer and had does feeding in front of me for two hours and you can't move and it it like, it physically hurts. So like incorporating that, whether it's into your workouts and you just like actually push yourself, like legitimately push yourself, or it's mentally doing things that test your thought process and how you approach things. Being accustomed to understanding what struggle actually is and not thinking that you're, that you're struggling is important.
5: For me, uh, I think as far as work life goes, you go and spend all of this time helping somebody else achieve their dreams as far as their business goes for most of us blue-collar guys. And you, you're on the job maybe more than 40 hours a week and you're on a tee. You know, a lot of us, we're having to do good to perfect work every day and then you take your own personal time and you don't use it to fulfill to the same level for me i'm going to work two times harder to achieve what i want than i am for somebody else so if i'm giving them perfect i'm going to kill myself to do what i need to do so that's kind of what focus i focus on and drives me is that it it doesn't matter how bad or how long my week was when i get in the woods it's business plain and simple cold blood and that's what i try to focus on it doesn't matter if i'm walking four miles five miles it doesn't matter you know how cold it is it's what i'm here to do because that's what i want so if you give somebody else 100 percent why can you not give yourself 120
0: yeah i think that's a i think that's a that's a good way to look at it i looked at it that way for many years um i man um I think to a point you have to you have to be that way and you have to there's a task at hand and what you're trying to do is you know to be successful I think there's a there's a natural competitive nature there right like you want to do good you there's goals you set for yourself that you want to see come to fruition right um and you know in my you know more recent years I've I've found myself stepping away from that a little bit more and and trying to. I found I was getting too caught up in, like, the... It was getting too regimented, so I try and en- enjoy my time. Not that... I'm not saying that nobody else enjoys their time, but I know I didn't for a while. Like, uh, I would I would be hunting like it was a job. Um, and I'll admit that. Like, I mean, I, I, t- I take hunting very seriously. And there's, you know... Um, and I go into the season, you know, with the mentality, like, you know, that nobody's gonna hunt as hard as I'm gonna hunt and I don't care where I am what I got to do like that's and, and, and it's not an option to fail that's how I've always looked at it and when I kind of let go of that a little bit and was more like I want to go out like the reason I'm really doing this is because I enjoy being out there and you know I started to notice that I was getting I was it was easier there was less pressure and I started to connect the dots easier and better and faster so I think having, I think, I think having that, that balance, the perfect balance of, like, you have to be there, you have to be doing what you need to do, but also maybe don't hold so much pressure on yourself uh, is a good mentality. Um, but I will say, like, answering the question, um, like, exact, I don't think there's anything that, I've, that has helped me more in the, um, in hunting that isn't hunting is bodybuilding. Uh, and not necessarily just like kind of competitive bodybuilding, but I'm talking When I say bodybuilding, I'm talking about the art of changing your body in any way shape or form If you want to be able to run 27 miles that's bodybuilding if you want to if you want to look jacked and be 220 pounds of shredded muscle that's bodybuilding, you know, I, I look any way shape or form right and it's a personal change it's a physical change and it requires so much mental discipline to do any change to do any bodybuilding um that that right there is just it's insane the 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 benefits and the rewards that that transfers over to the your entire life your home life your hunting life um it's holding yourself accountable and implementing discipline there so you know as jake kind of mentioned like There's a lot, like, there's not times where I, there's never times where I um, skip out on hunting because it's never even an option. It's like, you know, I I had that saying that I always say, like, do hard shit. It's good for you. Like, very very plain and simple. Like, if you do enough hard shit, the easy shit is never hard. Uh, And hunting is easy. It should be an enjoyment. It shouldn't be a grind. Like, we should enjoy being out there. So, but um, nothing... I believe has helped me then uh you know uh, the mental discipline of like diet and, and training and not skipping out on the gym and getting up and even if it's pouring rain out running go go run four miles yeah it's gonna suck you don't want to do it but if you get yourself to do that stuff on a consistent basis and suffer on a consistent basis then you know um I'm I'd be I just you benefit sitting in a tree becomes a lot easier oh my god it's <laughs> like you know um A lot of people, you know, it's just, it's tough to get up when the alarm goes off and it's tough to make that walk, but that walk seems easy when, you know, there's other stuff to compare that to. You guys got anything? Bobby, you got anything specific? Uh,
4: The one thing that I would say, and and I didn't want to, you called on me, I didn't want to say it because I'm going to kind of contradict myself. Make sure you have the muscle memory with the gear. So, it, it's one thing to have all of this stuff, and I know this is kind of, we're, I'm going back to hunting, and you asked, outside of hunting, what do you do to, to be more successful? But, making sure that, it, it, having all the best gear out there that's available in the market with this stuff is great, but if you don't have the hands-on, if you're not tinkering with it in your garage in the man cave on the off-season, then and you're waiting to the very last minute to get your routine and your system and how you're going to hang it, how you're going to store everything, um, then you're you're shooting yourself in the foot. If you stay ready, you never have to waste the time to get ready. Um, And what I meant by I'm going to contradict myself here is that when hunting season is over for me, I'm done. I'm flipping a switch. I'm packing my stuff up. I'm hanging my bows on on my bow hangers in the garage and I'm walking away from it for several months. I'll leave my cameras out to get a few months of after-season intel, uh, and then I'll go get them, and I stay out of the woods um, until turkey season. And when I'm turkey hunting, I'm really – if I come across something that's legit, got it, but I'm really not looking for it. I don't shed hunt. Uh, It's just not a a, a thing for me um i'd rather have them on the wall um from an arrow you know um but i get it like you find the shed you identify a, a deer for the following season and you cl- and get some guys collect over the years yeah. um and, and then capitalize but that, Dude, that's i'm, my I'm
0: so glad you said that because that brings up a huge point that i didn't even think about um and it's a huge factor and i think to sum up what you're talking about is off time right like like Uh, an an off period right no I mean sort of Yeah. Yeah. I I, I
4: walk away from
0: it and and so you know I had conversations about this all the time and there's a fine line here about trying to learn or whatever but I do think a lot of people it's a good mentality to have of there is no off season but at the same time separating yourself from that a little bit and not only giving the deer a chance to recoup but giving yourself a chance to recoup makes you come back that much better and more efficient, you know. So sometimes, you, if you're going year-round, year-round, like, you just you don't even know it, but you're petering out. Um, so I'll, do, you know, I, I kind of take the same philosophy as Bobby, too. Now, I, there, you know, I was talking with Brock from XOP just the other day, and there's, you know, there's this line you have to to teeter on, whether, you know, there's plenty of opportunity out of season to learn but not, mess up your season or not go too hard right so we talked about things like you know identifying potential spots for the next year and and just you know identifying uh, potential food sources and travel patterns and uh, eliminating ground to get a better start but anything in addition to that like let the deer grow um, you know use that time to to kind of um, let yourself heal from the past season so you can come at it a little bit harder um, I think time away is super crucial. There you have it. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this week's Q&A from the Birmingham, Alabama Roadshow event. Keep in mind, we got four more events this year. We will be hitting Ohio next, Michigan after that, then Pennsylvania, then our home finale event in Iowa. So if you haven't had a chance, head over to the website, www com, and check out that event schedule and see which one will work out for you. We encourage you guys to come, learn some stuff, hang out. Until next time, this is Cody. Do hard shit. It's good for you. There you have it. Matthew. really getting jacked up.